Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England Case Profiles Edition. Hello, welcome back to another mini episode. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful, hopefully not swelteringly hot, Sunday morning. We're very happy to have you, as we always are when we do our case profiles. These are so important to us, and even one listen is the most amazing support we could ask for. For sure. These are cases that we will be telling you guys and each other, actually. They are cases of people of color who are mostly unsolved because they just do not get the same media coverage, media attention, attention from law enforcement, and we are hoping to change that ever so surely and telling you about these cases that you may have otherwise never heard of. Exactly. And we're happy to do it. There's so many different ways that we present these case profiles. Sometimes we're lucky enough we get a full episode. Sometimes we have such little information we can't even do a case profile. We'll do an Instagram slash website post instead. Whatever we can do, we're going to find a way. Yeah, so the way that we present the mini episodes to you guys is that Liz will separately research a case, I will research a case, and then we will tell not only you guys, but each other. So we're all kind of learning about it together. Any exclamations, any, oh, wow, that's crazy. Oh, holy shit, that's insane. I can't believe that happened. Is genuine because we have not heard each other's cases. We know of them ever so slightly because they do come from a master list that we both add to every now and then. But we are all learning together. We are all here trying to get these cases out there. And because it is an even episode, Liz, you are kicking us off today. Great, because I have a case from, believe it or not, Rhode Island. Ooh, okay. I don't know if we've had one. If we had, it's maybe like one. Because this is, Rhode Island is notoriously A, white, and B, small. Yeah. So I when I saw it, I was like, okay, let's see what we can do. I'm going to be telling you guys about the murder of Melvin Coombs. My sources today from the Cape Cod Times, People Pill, which was an interesting just title alone, Wild Wind Creations. We're going to go a little back, actually, Kitty, before our birth. St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 1997. It was being celebrated naturally all over the world. Chicago's river is green. Every pub in Boston is hopping because for some reason, a lot of Irish people live in Boston. Great. We love it. Not too far down south in Rhode Island, 49-year-old Melvin Coombs, who was a well-known and proud member of the Wampanoag tribe, was out partying. He was doing his St. Patrick's Day thing. Who among us? Well, not us because we weren't born yet, but most people were having a good time. Melvin lived with his fiance of two years in Richmond, Rhode Island. That night he had gone out drinking, having a few Guinness. I don't know. I couldn't name any other beer companies, but they were drinking. They were having a good time. He was out with his friend Lloyd Lance Comer. According to witnesses, Melvin and Lloyd had spent most of the day drinking and partying, having a good time. And that celebration carried into the evening, the late evening. A bartender named Marie Saylor served the two men beers at a Richmond tavern later that night. And she said that Melvin accidentally crushed Lloyd's cigarettes. And as a result, a fight ensued in which Lloyd called Melvin a racial slur. Uh Oh, yeah. I don't even know what racial, uh, not that it matters, but I, you know, and I think at this point they are probably pretty drunk. I was going to say alcohol is not helping this situation. No. And I think crushing a pack of cigarettes really isn't that big of a deal. 
In fact, Mary Saylor, the bartender, actually gave Lloyd some of her cigarettes. Was like, here, you know what? Have some of mine for free, free of charge, just to diffuse the situation. And that still, you know, didn't seem, they still seemed kind of like touchy. The two men actually ended up leaving together in Lloyd's truck where they came, which is interesting because they were both drunk. It was a different time. Mm, Still not safe, though. Regardless, that night was the last time Melvin was ever seen. Four days later, after he was seen arguing with Lloyd, Melvin's beaten body was discovered on his property. Him being Lloyd. Melvin had 17 broken ribs, three gashes to his face as well. The coroner said that drugs and alcohol may have had a factor in his death. Okay, I guess given the time of night, what was happening. But, maybe it's true. Does drugs and alcohol cause 17 broken ribs and three gashes to the face? Mm. As someone who's never done drugs, I can't confirm, but I'm gonna take a guess that he did not get those from drinking. Wow. Maybe if there was significant internal bleeding as a result of the broken ribs, because I know alcohol, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, you are at more of a risk for bleeding out or bleeding more just right. because of how alcohol works and affects your circulatory system. But right. no, I don't think mm-hmm. like a pint of Guinness is going to cause 17 ribs to just break. No. Holy shit. And also, I mean, can we talk about like, the location on which his body was found. According to Lloyd, he remembers, quote, dropping Melvin back at the tavern they were at when they were both last seen. He claimed that he then discovered Melvin's body on his property four days later because he had driven over it and was dragging it several yards. His body had been concealed by a tarp. Mm -hmm. The police ended up charging Lloyd with murder before a grand jury knocked the sentence down to involuntary manslaughter. Later, Lloyd was acquitted. So he was never, he maybe like was formally charged, but he's no longer even like in the picture of being responsible. Right? Katie's face right now is, her mouth is agape. In disbelief. Right? Isn't that bizarre? To this day, since Lloyd's acquittal, nobody has been held responsible for his death. Nobody. I know. To you and me, and us listener, most likely, I think we know what happened. I think, you know, I would say, and I just have a hunch, Mm. you know, I'm not really sure why I'm getting this vibe. Mm. I don't know. Something in my gut is telling me that the perpetrator, maybe his name rhymes with (laughs) Cloyd. Cloyd, perhaps. Boyd. Boyd, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it starts with an L and ends in... Boyd. I don't know, but I'm really getting a vibe here that we all know who the perpetrator is. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so mad. Right? I can't even imagine. What is the logic with the police there? And I really think that, you know, okay, crushing a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, that's that sucks. That's unfortunate. Okay. I think just the fact that Lloyd called him a racial slur. Yes. Really indicates that there's something deeper going on. What is that saying? Drunk words or sober thoughts? Right. Very true. I think that Lloyd was holding resentment towards Melvin. I think that Melvin being Native American really struck a nerve with him. Mm -hmm. And I think that there was a lot of underlying tension and resentment going on with Lloyd because of that, because you don't just call your friend a racial slur. No. 
Absolutely not. Drinking or not, you, a racial slur doesn't come out. Precisely. Like, decent people, they don't go around drinking and, oh, I'm drunk, so all of a sudden racial slurs are going to fly out of my mouth. Right. No. That just shows who you are for real. Exactly. Which is not good. That's So you could argue that that was a hate crime. You could, absolutely. And, you know, the fact that it was found on his property, his body, concealed by a tarp, he drove over it, would it was it on purpose, probably to maybe diffuse some evidence, who knows. I think we can make a pretty fair conclusion, though. Melvin was born and raised in Mashpee, Massachusetts, and he was given a native name that I'm not going to try and pronounce because I feel it would be a dishonor to the, the word, but it meant quick foot. He was dedicated to spreading knowledge about his heritage, and he loved to dance competitively at local powwows. He eventually became a public speaker in local schools and communities. He worked really hard to dispel myths and stereotypes of indigenous people around the entire country. He also served as a cultural interpreter at the Plymouth Plantation while he worked as a member of the Wampanoag Indigenous Program. He also managed the Dovecrest Cultural Center in Exeter, Rhode Island, plot twist, with his fiance Don Dove. And unfortunately, that is the senseless and brutal murder over possibly a crush pack of cigarettes of Melvin Coombs. Just shaking your head. I get it. What the fuck? Yeah. For such... If that really is the... What happened? He crushed his cigarettes. He got mad. That is so stupid. Killing someone over cigarettes, especially when the bartender was like, you know what, man? Have some of mine. No big deal. Free of charge. Holy shit. Yeah. I really think that race played a big factor in that. I really, th- and especially after learning how involved Melvin was not only in his own heritage, but in his community and actively trying to educate and dancing and just really making an effort to not let his heritage die. Mm. I think that because he was so active and the racial slur was involved, I I'm standing with my feeling that it's a hate crime. I would honestly agree with you. That sucks. And the worst part, I don't have a number for this case. And last case I covered too, I didn't have one either. It's feeling really upsetting. I guess, you know, you could use your brains and maybe call the Richmond, Rhode Island Police Department or the Exeter, Rhode Island Police Department if you were in that area or maybe recognize the name or anything. But there wasn't like a direct line in any of these articles that was like, oh, are you... Do you know anything? Here's the number, which is a shame. Wow. How about if anyone was around that area at the time of this case and Lloyd is still walking this earth? Shoot us a DM, email us. You know, you can be anonymous on our website submission tool. Mm -hmm. If you have Lloyd's current address, (laughs) maybe just like, I don't know. Yeah, just for just out of my own curiosity. I just want to know, like, what street he lives on. I want to know what, like, the name. Is it a cool name? Maybe like the house number. The house number. It's like a lucky number. I don't know. It could be my lucky number. You know? I think maybe a true crime New England field trip is, is overdue. We haven't taken one of those in quite some time. Where's Lloyd your... live, guys? Let I us know. Let, us, let know. us know. Just not for any anything nefarious. Just, just want to talk. House hunting. All right, Katie. What undoubtedly sad story do you have for me today? I will be telling you, Liz, and our lovely listeners about the Barnstable, Massachusetts John Doe. Oh, that one has been staring at me on the list and I was too scared to cover it. It just intimidated me. Oh, I was very intimidated doing the research, but it's, it's, yeah. All right. Hit me and the listeners with it. Will do. Great. My sources today 
starting off very intimidatingly strong with FBI.gov. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Quaking in my boots a little. Yeah. As well as Unidentified Wiki, UPI.com, Grateful Doe Reddit Thread, and WCVB.com. Five sources you just gave me? I, I think that might be record shattering. Holy shit. Yeah. And you started with FBI. I know. This is going to be good. In the worst way. On June 4th, 2014, a man was walking down Town Neck Beach in Sandwich, Massachusetts, when he came across a duffel bag wrapped in a tarp. (gasps) Inside was a body missing its head and limbs. What? So a torso. Mm. Like a torso. Yeah. And that's it. Wow. I I don't know what I would do. Right off the... I don't know what I would do. I, I really... Wow. Traumatized for the rest of your life. Absolutely. The remains had been duct taped to a blue dolly with folding wheels. Like something that you would see in a warehouse or maybe a delivery truck driver would have. Yep. Holy shit. The duffel bag was found behind concrete barriers near the parking lot to the beach. And it was estimated that the remains had been there for at least two days. Wow. Oh my god. The torso was discovered to belong to a black male ranging from 5 foot 10 to 6 feet tall and weighing about 230 pounds. Notably, there was a 4-inch surgical scar on the abdomen, most likely from a hernia surgery. Okay. The torso was found wrapped in or wearing several layers of clothing. Oh. With one of the layers being a t-shirt that investigators really hoped would provide them leads. District Attorney Michael D. O'Keefe stated, quote, They told us the shirt was probably six to eight years old. They gave out thousands over the years to customers and vendors. We want to know whether members of the public might have seen someone wearing a shirt like that over the past few days. Okay. The T-shirt was a blue short-sleeved shirt with the words, I got serviced on the front and Cranston Windustrial Company, which is a pipe distribution company in Rhode Island right. on the back. Huh. The other clothing the torso was wrapped in consisted of Echo brand black sweatpants, a size 4XL white t-shirt from the brand Gazy, G-A-Z-Y on it, a size 3XL brand Fruit of the Loom white t-shirt, striped Hanes boxer shorts, and then of course the blue shirt from that company in Rhode Island. Wow. So very, very bizarre. That is really weird. And I mean, I mean the size 4XL, the 3XL, to me... I don't think someone who's five foot ten to six feet and two hundred thirty pounds would need a four XL. No, definitely not. So I'm not sure if the clothing belonged to someone near the victim. Right. I I am not quite sure, but wow. it's it's very odd. That is odd. Police aren't sure if the T-shirt is a reliable link or if it was placed on the body intentionally to throw them off, like the rest of the shirts. It seems like they, like exactly like the rest of the clothing and the rest of. The details around the body as well, because why would you remove someone's limbs and head and then put them in a t-shirt and have that t-shirt be a clue into identifying the body? So it really seems like the t-shirt is intentional, especially with the words, I got serviced on the front. I think that's kind of sinister. Yeah, I think you're right. In 2019, Massachusetts State Police submitted DNA from John Doe to Parabon Labs in Virginia. Oh. They were able to use DNA to form a composite image of the man's face. What? And that will be up on our Instagram and our website, which I think 
The fact that they were able to do that is groundbreaking fucking technology. Yeah. Let's go back to how many cold cases are there where we don't have limbs. We don't have someone's head. Someone was decapitated on purpose. Right. And we just have someone's remains with no identity. Like, let's get that sent over to these labs. ASAP. That's nuts. Yeah. So because of this composite image, they were able to create a missing persons poster. Really? Of him. Mm Mm-hmm. Holy shit. The Barnstable County John Doe is also referred to as the Man of the Dunes. Oh! Which, as we know, the Lady of the Dunes was one of New England's most famous cold cases. It's widely discussed in true crime, especially because it was recently solved. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that the Man of the Dunes received, like, a fraction of the attention of Lady of the Dunes. Never heard of it. Exactly. Wow. So I think it would be really great if this case could be solved, too, especially with this new development of... We now know what his face looks like. Right. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. There actually is a second case that's a separate Barnstable County John Doe. We know next to nothing about this one, so I just put some information too because it was very close to this first Barnstable County John Doe. Wow. And we don't really know anything, so while we're talking about the Barnstable County John Doe, I might as well tack it on there. This was a man whose partial remains were found in the ocean by a fishing boat 94 miles east of Provincetown, Massachusetts, where Lady of the Dunes was. Right. On April 5th, 2001. Wow. All we really know was where he was found, like, in the ocean, and that he was wearing heavy wool pants, Levi jeans, orange weather gear pants, long johns, and a belt. So it seems like he was either a fisherman Mm -hmm. or someone took him out to go fishing. Right. And then... Got rid of him. Right. He's missing his head, at least one arm and leg, and most of his torso. So there's even less remains here. Wow. Yeah. Could that be from erosion and wildlife? Could be. Maybe like the torso, but not like the missing limbs entirely. That's not just going to happen. You know, that's somebody probably did that. But like, wow. Mm -hmm. Do Do you think they're connected? I don't know. Because I know this one that was found in the ocean is 2001. Right. And then this other one was 2014. That is a big gap. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if they aren't related, but I think it's very suspicious. And, you know, if anyone knows anything. Right. Like, let the appropriate authorities know. But I just, I think it's so crazy. Yeah. We still don't know the identity of Barnstable John Doe, obviously really anything about him other than now what he looks like and then what he was wearing and how he was found. Um, The man that found the duffel bag and then investigated and found the torso, he would really like to see this solved. I know that everybody would, but I think especially him just because one of the articles I read, it seemed like he was very traumatized by what he saw. Um, And I feel like that's something that you don't easily forget and would probably cause you to think about at least on a daily occurrence. I think you're probably right. So it would really be cool if you guys could check out that missing persons poster that we now have. Yeah. Um, Take a good look at the guy's face. It seems like the face and the reconstruction of his face is pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think it's also a really interesting testament to how far technology has come. Yes, absolutely. So I'm hoping that we could start to see that technology being used more frequently Mm. to identify more cases like this that were considered previously unidentifiable. Right. Wow. 
Anyone with any information on the Barnstable John Doe should call the Cape and Island State Police at 508-790-5799 or Sandwich, Massachusetts Police at 508-888-3343. And those numbers, at least the first number for the Cape and Island State Police, would also apply to the 2001 Barnstable John Doe. Just in case anyone knows anything, Mm -hmm. I think it's worth throwing that in there. We also don't know the guy's race, so I think that, too, is gotcha. pretty indicative that there's not a whole lot there. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's just so crazy that this happened right in New England, right in our area. I mean, Man of the Dunes, and we've never heard, never of, heard of it. And especially this year, Lady of the Dunes has been a hot topic for us. We covered it episode 60, but... Not too long after we posted that, it was solved. Right. And our episode 60, before we knew her identity, somehow coincidentally came out on her birthday. So I I think, and anyone within the true crime community, not even just in New England, knows about the Lady of the Dunes. It's huge. All the major podcasts that cover it, My Favorite Murder, Last Podcast and Left Talks, but just for example, and it's famously well known because Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, was fascinated by it and has talked to the media about it. So the fact that we've heard so much about that, it is interesting, and rightfully so, but nothing about the man of the dunes? Oh, it's because he's black. thousand percent. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Crazy story. Well, guys, if you have a case that you want us to cover of a person of color in New England, please send it our way. You can send it to us on Instagram, truecrimeny. You can send it to our email, truecrimeny at gmail.com. We are so welcoming of all case profiles, any possibility. Do not be worried about the length, whether it's too long, too short. We will find a way to get it out there. Yeah. And if you guys are thinking, well, this person was close to me or I know of a case, but I really don't want my name shared, go to our website, truecrimeany.com. Our submission tool under the contact page allows you to be anonymous. Mm -hmm. So we have had people submit cases for full episodes, cases for case profiles, just because they want to be anonymous. I think it's a good tool to have, especially if there are some sinister aspects to the case or there is always a potential for a case to be gang related. So we'll take it all, whatever you guys want to do, but just know that that is an option as well to be anonymous. Absolutely. Well said. And with that, we'll see you Thursday. Bye. Goodbye.